Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Play ball! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you're all staying safe and staying sane during this time of physical isolation for many of us. And with a lack of sports to take our mind away from the real world, it's been a challenge for those of us who work in sports media to come up with some content to keep you entertained and give you some of that sports fix you're looking for. For me, the first step was pretty easy. Sports movies. I watched Miracle twice in three days after spring training was canceled. That, if you don't remember, is the 2004 movie about the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team, The Miracle on Ice. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. The real story is fun to watch, and so is the Hollywood version with Kurt Russell as the late Herb Brooks. The emotions of that film are tremendous. Miracle falls into the great pantheon of sports movies that bring out emotion just like the sporting events they're about, real or fictitious. But there's something about the real-life events that make for great films, ones that you can watch over and over again. Well, like many of you probably are. I'm a subscriber to a number of streaming services, including Disney+, and that's where I watched Miracle, and the other sports movies on there include The Rookie, Million Dollar Arm, Invincible, and Secretariat. And one thing that all those movies have in common is the producer who got them made, and his name is Mark Charty. I first connected and spoke with Mark about a year ago as research for an interview I was conducting with Jim Morris, the real-life left-handed pitcher turned teacher turned pitcher again, whose life story was depicted in The Rookie, the 2002 movie starring Dennis Quaid. That was the first sports movie that Charty turned out, and he followed up with all those others that I mentioned, making him a specialist in the type of movie that sports fans love to watch. They are about sports, sure, but they're also about the journey and the drive and determination to get through that journey, about the people behind the people who make that journey possible, about the real-life obstacles and emotions that make the stories passionate and entertaining. Mark Charty has spent the last two decades making those stories in Hollywood, and one reason he connects the sports projects the way he does and is so good at bringing them to the screen is that he knows a little something about the journey. Mark Charty is a former Major League pitcher. He's from Piscataway, New Jersey, played college ball at the University of Maryland, and was drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers in 1983. He reached the majors in 87 and pitched in four games for the Brewers in April of that year, 
where he was part of Milwaukee's record streak of 13 straight wins to start the season. Mark and I discuss his own journey to the majors and experience there, but mostly this episode is about sports movies and making the kind of movies that resonate with audiences for years after they're made. At a time when re-watching old games or sports movies are the only outlets for sports fans, it's a great time to rediscover some of the movies that we love as sports fans. And I began my conversation with Mark Chardy by asking him what it is that he likes so much about sports movies and what were some of his favorites growing up. Yeah, good question. Uh, I mean, I loved Rocky. I mean, that was, yeah. that was for me, uh, you know, kind of life-changing in a way, like so many people. It just was this great underdog story and, and you know, uh, the moody put people in it was it was uh you know it moved people um i think probably before that brian's song mm-hmm. was mo- most memorable when i was even younger uh i think everybody was crying in that one as well and listen if you can be moved by stories then that's a great thing yeah it's it's more about it's not necessarily the winning or losing in those movies that you're talking about uh it was really just a connection it made with people and i think both of those in different ways make people cry at different points, right? They're wholly emotional. They like to sometimes be called as chick flicks for guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The funny thing about most sports movies is, Mark, there's rarely a surprise ending. I mean, you, you almost always know how it's going to end. So why do you think we love them so much? You know, I think it's about the journey. I think with any story, whether it's, you know, about a sports hero or a sports underdog story uh, or not, it's about the journey. Uh, you might know the ending, some of the more famous stories I've done, whether it's the U.S. Olympic hockey, you know, story Miracle on Ice or Secretariat. You, you know how those end. And, you know, I think the audience also wonders, like, well, listen, if I know how it ends, why do I want to see it? And I think you've got to give them a compelling uh, reason to and bring them on a journey that you didn't know and tell them something that you didn't know. Yeah, that's really the challenge, I think, with those two specifically, right? Because you're talking about some very well-known events. There are other sports movies that maybe pick something a little more obscure. Hoosiers was fictional, but based on a uh, on a small-town Indiana story from 1954. Yeah. You know, Miracle on Ice, all you have to do is say those words, and almost everybody who knows the sport or the sporting world knows what you're talking about, there's a special kind of challenge to making that something that people want to A, watch, and B, watch over and over again. Yeah, I just showed my kids a uh, miracle, and they had seen it when they were younger, and now with this virus, it's, uh, I think a lot of people are checking out you know, films that will evoke something, make them feel good, and, and my kids didn't remember hardly any of it, and they loved it, and uh, asked me a lot of questions. In fact, at one point, my, my son turned over and he said, are they going to win? <laughs> Young kids don't know the result of that story. They've maybe heard it, but uh, that's what's great. Generations can watch these things and, and enjoy them. And, and uh, you know, in that case, it was, it was very steeped in history and, and politics. So, uh, you know, you can learn a little something as well. Yeah, thanks for putting my hometown in the front of that, uh, in the opening montage. I'm from Middletown, Pennsylvania, home of Three Mile Islands. So I always oh, point to that geez. little fire truck. Yeah, in sorry the about that. No, no, it's all good. One of the reasons that I wanted to reach out to you is that, I mean, you mentioned the situation we're in and what we're all doing. 
I just flipped on Disney Plus and a handful of your movies are all right there. Uh, it started with The Rookie for you. Uh, there was a baseball connection for you personally. That movie came out in 2002, but way back in 1983, after you were drafted from the University of Maryland, you're in rookie ball in Paintsville, Kentucky, and one of your teammates there is Jim Morris. Take me from there to how you made that your first big blockbuster movie. Yeah, it's funny. Back in uh, 83, when I we signed the same year, uh, I remember vividly pulling into Paintsville, Kentucky, uh, the, where we played was at a, at a high school there. It was a tiny little high school in a dry county. Hazard County, and uh, and you're like, oh my God, where are we? And and I remember pulling in next to this brand new white Bronco that Jim Morris owned, and I realized that he was a first round pick, you know, secondary, uh, whatever round, you know, however that the draft is. But yeah. uh, I remember him being kind of one of those bonus babies with Dan Plesac, and I'm like, oh man, they gave me twenty five hundred dollars and and you know gas money to get there, and, and these guys. <laughs> You know, I, I'm behind these guys, and 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 I remember going with Jim and a couple guys and Jim's dad to a little diner after the first practice. So it's like you know you're you kind of have these memories, and and Jim and I played for two and a half years together in the same system or same team, and uh, and then actually that rookie year I got my I got a real break because Jim was hurt for a start maybe about three weeks into the season, and I got a spot start in Bristol, Tennessee. I threw a shutout, and from that point on, I was never out of starting rotation for the rest of my career. So I like to commend Jim on that. He, you know, he had some <laughs> shoulder issues and, and some stuff he was dealing with through, throughout our time playing together, and, and, uh, and then we actually went on different tracks. But, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a friend. I think we roomed together one spring training, and, you know, you're, you're brothers with these guys for the whole year, you know, seven, six, seven months. You're around these guys every day. you got 25 brothers, and... You know, when you play multiple seasons, you get to know people really well. But then, like a lot of things, you know, you finish with ball, and and he finished with ball, and you go on to your lives, and and you don't really stay connected as much as you'd like. And man, it was eleven years, and and I'm reading Sports Illustrated this little article in the back, and and they're talking about this high school teacher, thirty five years old, and and I'm reading this, and I can't believe it. And and by the end of the article, I was like, who is this guy? And I I must have glanced over the name, and then I looked again because it said. You know, he signed in 1983 with the Brewers, and I'm like, that's when I signed. <laughs> and and I couldn't believe that, you know, this same guy that 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 uh, that I knew all those years is now, you know, in AAA, knocking on the door of a big league team, and he was a teacher. So I just, you know, at that point, I was just starting my film career. It was in a in a garage at that point, trying to you know figure it out and teach teach myself the business, and um, got really lucky. Uh, met with, you know, connected with the team and then got his uh, new agent. And then, you know, we, we had set a meeting and, and I met Jim up at uh, Disney and, and they ended up, you know, making a really aggressive offer, even though it became very competitive because the whole world found out once he got called up. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then they came and played the Angels in Anaheim and Bill Plasky wrote an article that the whole town then, you know, went crazy on. And so every... You know, for years afterwards, you know, pe people would go, oh, I tried to get that, that project. And, you know, we got really lucky, you know, being in a garage and, and able to set it up at Disney. But that really launched my career in, in you know, feature films. And that led to a, a, an overall deal with Disney and, and, and many films with them.
Yeah, let me backtrack for a second, Mark. Did How did you go from the end of your baseball career, and I'll talk to you about your career, but how did you go from finishing playing ball to getting into the movie business, and sure. was it just kind of dumb luck of reading that SI article that you started down the road of sports movies? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I had, uh, when, when I played, I... I got a an, an agent uh, named Dennis Gilbert, and oh, he was sure. based in Beverly Hills. And, and I remember when I got put on the big league roster, he had pretty much all of the really big, young brewers, you know, prospects. Uh, he was representing all these guys. And I remember I got called up from single A to double A in El Paso in 1985. And, and uh, he, he had all the big guys on the team, and, and he asked, he I think I pitched and thrown well, and, and he came over to me and said, hey, are you represented? And I said, no. Uh, and then he's like, well, why don't, why don't I rep you? So it was the first time I had an agent. And, and, and then later, after I got put on the big league roster, he said, hey, where, where, where are you training in the offseason? I said, well, you know, back home in New Jersey at my high school. And uh, he started laughing. He's like, hey, why don't you come out to California? And, you know, a lot of my guys, you know, work out at, uh, at UCLA. And, you know, I compared – you know, New Jersey to UCLA and Southern California. So I, I, I went out and visited and then drove out by myself um, at the end of 85, right after Thanksgiving. And, and then that became my off-season home over the years. And, and um, you know, a lot of my friends were out here. And, and, you know, I always had hoped to one day, you know, live out here full time. But uh, when I ended my baseball career, you know, I ended up kind of going back east for a bit and, you know, did some other things. And, uh, when the opportunity came to come back out here, uh, you know, I said, you know, I had a lot of friends that ended up being in the film business through the nineties when I wasn't even here. And then I was like, you know, if they can do it, you know, let me give it a try. So I just really wanted to move back to California and Los Angeles and had no experience in, in the film industry. And, uh, I did know people in the film industry, which is a huge help. So, but I was 35 years old, knew nothing about that profession and, decided to become a producer. I guess looking back, it seems crazy, but uh, it worked out and, you know, you, you, you try to work really hard and figure out if you're good at something and, uh, you know, just really hustled and, and try to find great stories like, you know, the Jim Morris story. And you said it was a little bit of luck of just reading that SI article, but does your background as a professional athlete kind of shape the kind of stories you're looking for and knowing, you know, just the trials of it, the drama involved yeah. in it? I think it did. I think getting the little things right. You know, I wanted a film. You know, I, I, I saw films, sports films over the years that didn't work, right? Because it just didn't feel authentic. And, and with, you know, people watching so much sports, you know, uh, on a daily basis, you can't get that wrong, right? What's hard about sports films is that you have to get the, the, the sport right, and then you have to get the dramatic and emotional parts of the story as well. So there's almost two sides to them. And, uh, you know, you look at and trying to find great stories. I didn't set out to be, to get this, you know, sports films. It was the rookie that was the first one. And then that led to everything after that. But, uh, no, you, I just try to find great stories and, and, you know, I love underdog stories. I think, you know, America loves a good underdog story. And that's really the essence of, of, of all of the stories that I've done. They're, they're all great underdog stories and redemptive stories. And I guess Miracle was the second one you made after the rookie, correct? Yeah. So how did you come upon, obviously you went from a story that hardly anybody knew, um, you know, despite the little publicity uh, that you're talking about surrounding Jimmy Morris, to a story that everybody knew. 
How did you go about choosing that, making that, and you know, what were the yeah. challenges for you of, uh, of getting that done the right way? Yeah, I think everything is about timing. And, you know, at the, the, at the point when that story came to us, it was uh, a little over 20 years after the story had happened. And, and I think right after the event, there was a TV movie yeah. and very forgettable. And, and so <laughs> when uh, a writer came in to pitch the story, it just felt like the right time in a weird way. And, and that, you know, this, this story needed to be told. It's, there's a generation of people that didn't really know it of younger kids and, and, you know, looking back on a story that meant so much when it happened and now has a little space in between it. I think that gave a little more relevance to, to the story. And, you know, I think it was also an HBO documentary yep. uh, that this writer watched and felt like, man, this could be a great movie. And, uh, came in, pitched us, and, you know, we we ended up going out to the town, and, and Disney put their hand up for that one as well, and that really cemented, you know, our relationship, and then we ended up uh, with an overall deal at Disney for 12 years, and and, uh, and now I'm back doing movies with them as well, so, you know, kind of came full circle. You know, Miracle is a good example of this. I want to get your thoughts on, you know, the idea of the based on a true story, you always have to take some creative liberties in making a movie like that. But you're a sports guy and you mentioned, you know, what you value in that. So does the athlete in you ever wrestle with the movie producer in you as you're trying to make a story like that that is well known? Well, there's a, there's a motto that we follow. It's don't let the facts get in the way of the truth. Right. So yeah. I think the first thing you have to do is you have to entertain an audience. And, and sometimes in films, you will play with timelines, you will fictionalize or make composite characters. And, you know, you, you've got to create scenes, right? You're not, you, there, there wasn't a microphone in, in, in every, you know, different, right. you know, conversation that's, that's had in a movie, right? You have to, you have to create, you got to find out what the truth was. You have to interview people that were around it and you got to get the essence of, of what happened and you authentic. So I think it's a skill to get a, to have a writer be able to do that in a great way. And, you know, Mike Rich, uh, who, who wrote four of those movies for me, uh, was, was a guy who, who took great care in crafting a story and, and finding those emotional through lines and, and, and moments, those movie moments, you know, that you want to set up and pay off. And, uh, whether it's Kurt Russell's speech and miracle or, you know, with Jim Morris and some of the things that Dennis uh, Quaid did so well, you know, you got to build that, that, that emotion through the story. So when you have that triumph, there's, there's real emotion there and it's not just, you know, an, an accomplishment on, on the field. It's got to, got to resonate emotionally with the characters that you set up. Because you're so closely attached to these and you know, all the ins and outs of them, are you relying on your emotion telling you that it's right? Or are you kind of watching those yep. around you? Well, that, that's what a little bit of, of, of the skill you have to get, you know, as a producer, you know, you have to know when scripts work, right? I mean, I, I don't write, I can't write, but I, I, I know when, when writing is working well and I know how to give notes. And I, I think I have a sense, a sense for storytelling that any good producer would do. And you've got to be able to convey those notes and, and keep making a script better. There's, there's times when scripts go backwards, right? And those movies don't get, end up getting made. Right. And there's times when you have to change writers and then you have to figure out. So there's a craft to developing a movie and getting it in the best shape you can. Um, sometimes 
it's 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 a relay race where you're you're you know handing off to someone else and then you know then you bring a director in and then there's another layer layer of development because it's got to be the director's vision so there's a whole host of things and and that's why development takes years sometimes to to get um scripts just right and you know you never really finish developing scripts you're always writing and, and polishing right up to the day you shoot and sometimes on that day the uh, I, I watched Miracle on my flight home from Florida to New York uh, as, as you know basically spring training was canceled and then I watched it again two days later and uh, it, it's just one of those movies that you know uh, as Bill Simmons would say is a rewatchable you know we all just love to to watch them all over again and this time this is what we're doing without sports we're reaching back to these movies maybe it's not yours but what's one that you like to go back and watch over and over again that maybe brings out certain emotions in you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think those first two movies, uh, the rookie and miracle, yeah. um, you know, they, they, they all have, they're kind of like all your kids and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. but there's certain ones that, that, that resonate uh, a, a lot. You know, the rookie just was like a magical. It was my first movie. It was, uh, it was something that, you know, you get thrown into a situation, you know, work from starting in a garage. Then all of a sudden you're producing a movie and you're on a set with some kind of, you know, it's a little bit daunting, but also a little bit magical when you see how many people it takes and, and the teamwork. And, you know, you, 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 you work on the words for so long. And then all of a sudden, you know, like I always like to say that the, the, the movie making is the easy part, right? That's, you, you know, you're making it, enjoy it, make it the best you can. It, it's so hard to get movies made, right? They're multi-million dollar investments yeah. and you're competing with thousands and thousands of other projects. So to get a movie made is an accomplishment. And then, you know, when you're making it, you just got to kind of ride that thing and make sure that, uh, you know, what you have on the page is, is, is being executed, you know, on the day when you're shooting and, and make sure you get the little things right. And, uh, sometimes there's bigger decisions and, and things you have to kind of roll with, but, and then the movie ends, you know, and then you're yeah. done in three months and then, you know, a six months, a six month editing process happens and then you're shaping the film even more. So it, it, it's kind of a great project you know, or a process where, a lot of it is getting that script to where it needs to be, and uh, and because if you're not, if, if it's not going to be good, it's not going to be good on screen. Secretariat is one that I haven't seen, but it's going to be on my list now. Uh, what was it about that story, and what people don't know that made you want to go back and and make that one? Yeah, again, that was something that Mike Rich wrote, and and had always had a love for for horse racing, and and this horse in particular. Now. The uh, the idea that Secretariat was an underdog, uh, it, 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 it's not the case. It was considered the greatest racehorse ever. Yeah. But what the what the underdog element was that was Penny Chenery, who you know inherited this farm and had to figure out uh, could she keep it, could she afford to keep it. You know, back in the seventies, you had inheritance taxes of seventy percent, so she literally had to bet the farm on this horse wow. and and. You know, they, they, they basically had, uh, had, uh, sold the breeding rights ahead of time and, and basically had to predict that the, the horse had to win the triple crown, right? Anything short. And they could not keep the farm. They couldn't, you know, do what they were doing. And so a woman in that, in a very, you know, male oriented business is, is, so it's really her story and how she navigated that and how she had to step up and, 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 and face all these, uh, all the, all the adversity that goes along with that. And, and then as, as the horse, you know, had a couple failures leading up to the triple crown and then all of a sudden, you know, it just went, goes on this unbelievable streak, but each, you know, 
each race led to more pressure on the next race and then the next race. So the, the idea of kind of creating that, that adversity within these races and what that horse had to overcome at, at the same time what, of what she had to overcome personally was when the pressures uh, made a really great film. I'd like to know your opinion of it when you watch it, because that was another film that was, you know, received really well and obviously had a, you know, women really gravitated toward that as well. Cause we had a lead with, uh, you know, Diane and, and uh, I love that film as well. That was, Again, for me as a kid watching that race and then being at the Kentucky Derby and meeting Penny Chenery and being down there and inside that action, you know, both that story and, and, and Miracle on Ice were like things I watched and revered as a, as, as a young kid. And, and, and then all of a sudden I'm making these stories, whereas, you know, for me, uh, amazing, right? Those are some of the, the great things about, you know, being able to tell stories and, and, and bring those people back together to, to tell them. I'm going to grab a box of tissues and I'll give you my review as, uh, as soon as I yeah. finish with that one. Uh, tell me about Invincible. Uh, I know that's a story that people around Philadelphia kind of uh, knew about Vince Papali. Uh, but again, you're talking about some, some real characters that are yeah. somewhat well-known and telling the broader story that maybe isn't quite as well-known. Yeah, it, it, in some ways it, it was like the rookie in that, you know, you had a, a guy way past his prime that, you know, is trying to make a team in his mid thirties. And in this case, uh, there was about maybe 20 years or so between, or even longer. I think it happened in 76, but 25 years yeah. to 30 years before when that story happened and when we actually made the movie. So again, people forget about these stories and sometimes having that distance between when that happened and, and when you make the story adds to it. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a story a lot of people don't remember unless you're from Philadelphia, but he was a bartender. And when Dick Vermeil came to coach the Eagles, he wanted to shake things up. He had this open tryout just to, you know, again, shake things up. And here, here's this, this bartender who played rough touch football and, uh, loved the Eagles so much. And he was a great athlete, but you know, great athlete is one thing, uh, when you're playing rough touch football yeah. another is trying to make a team and he ended up making it. I didn't know at all about the story. And uh, they had done NFL films had done a little bumper piece leading into Monday night football. Uh, it was like a five minute little intro talking about on the 25th anniversary of Rocky. And then this real life Rocky <laughs> in Philly, you know, for the Eagles. And, and it just kind of blew up Hollywood and everyone tried to get the rights to this. And they came back around to me. It was developed. A script was developed and, um, uh, and we ended up getting it uh, for Disney and then redeveloping it some more. And that was a, just a fun film. I became very close with Vince and his family. And, and uh, again, you know, I think for people that, you know, especially when you don't think a movie's going to be made, and then all of a sudden, you know, years later, they do get made. That, that's a really fun part of what I do is, you know, watching the principals uh, watch this thing unfold and, and being able to relive it and, and then seeing it on the screen. It's really emotional. That's probably the most fun that I have is showing the movie to in a crowd to the people that the movie's about. And they almost always react very emotionally. And, and, you know, that's the best feeling. 
the other baseball movie that you made uh, is Million Dollar Arm. And uh, that one I, I watched very closely because one, I'm the son of Indian immigrants. And I remember when these two kids were signed and the idea of, you know, how far major league teams are willing to go to look for talent. But the story of them getting here and just getting out of where they were is is the essence of your story, not the fact that they had any sort of success over here. It was it yeah. was the success of just that part of the journey. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, it's it's a lot like the rookie and, and invincible in that you know it, 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 you don't have to become an all star or hall of famer, right? Yeah. It's just getting there, right? With Rocky, it was just he went the distance, you know. So. So it's all about that journey, and 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 this was a pretty amazing story because I, I I'm I was friends with J.D. Bernstein, who and I remember when he told me he was going over to India to find a baseball player. I was laughing at him. It was at a Super Bowl party in <laughs> yeah. Phoenix back whenever I think it was the Giants Patriots, and and I was like I could barely hear him, and he was telling me this in a crowd, and I was I just remember looking at him like, are you crazy? <laughs> and probably eight months later, he's in my office. He's like, man, I I, I got these guys, and I and, and I'm. I'm getting them signed, and it was like this crazy, crazy thing that it was like an experiment, right? You, you go over to the middle of India and find these two kids who have a good arm and try to teach them how to pitch. And, you know, with the idea that you could open up India as a market, which I do think will happen someday, cricket is king over there, but, you know, that motion, um, everyone throws there, yeah. everybody in the streets. You know, you go there and kids are throwing stuff. So you got to feel, you know, the idea that you could – find someone with a great arm and, and that's what they did. And, you know, these kids got signed by, by Pittsburgh and, you know, again, it's just them getting signed uh, was the amazing thing. And that's the end of the story. I love making that film. I love being in India and, and experiencing that culture and became really close with John Hamm um, during that process. It was just a fun movie. Listen, anytime you can make a baseball movie for me, it's uh, so that's why I think the rookie and this one were, were, kind of near and dear to me because you know you get to go back on 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 a baseball field which is always great all right so let's talk about your baseball career Uh, i mentioned earlier you were drafted out of maryland in 83 you came up to the big leagues in 87 and you only made four appearances but you made four appearances with the brewers in april of 1987 one of the greatest months that any team has had in major league history they started out 13 and 0 uh, what do you remember about being part of that run? Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm going to spoil this for other people a little bit. They started 17-2, and two, and those two losses were games both started by you. That's correct. But, I came out with the lead in the second one. So, yes, yes, you, you know, did. Not yep. my fault. But, uh, <laughs> what do you remember no, about the right. run? Uh, I, I remember it. You know, listen, anytime you – it happened so fast, right? Because, you know, I ended up making the, the big league team, and I was, I was a starting pitcher. I was the fifth starter, so – you know, all of a sudden, you know, you, you, your boyhood and childhood dream comes through, comes true. And and I remember my first game, I was supposed to pitch the fifth game in Texas. And during the third game, we opened up against the Red Sox after they had had that memorable series with the Mets, with Mookie Wilson and Buckner. Yep. You know, I'm facing all the same, it's the same team that you just watched from from home, you know, five months later, four months later. Here I am. I, I'm in long, long, long relief. And our starting pitcher, Mike Birkbeck, was getting hit around. And they said, like, if if, if he gets, you might, if you go in, it'll be in the first inning or two, and then we'll reshuffle our our, our rotation. So I, I figure the chances of getting in are like two percent. So I'm sitting out in the out in the center field 
um, you know, kind of bullpen, and I'm hanging out, and all of a sudden, they start scoring runs, they start scoring runs, and second inning, they're like, Charlie, get up, and I'm like, I don't even have my spikes on, so I'm running around, I didn't have time to think about it, but all of a sudden, then, 10 pitches later, they're they're asking, are you ready, and I'm like, yeah, and the gate's open, and I'm running in from center field, and I've got to face Jim Wrights and Dwight Evans with the guy <laughs> in second and third and one out. So I was just like, oh, my God. And ended up getting out of that inning um, without giving up any runs and pitched a one, two, three next inning. And I'm like, oh, this is easy. And then uh, <laughs> I think the third inning, I, I hung a change up to Dave Henderson, and he hit a home run. The catcher comes out, and he's like, Rook, what are you – he starts yelling at me. You know, why, why are you throwing a change up off a fastball? Just, just throw what I put down. And uh, I ended up throwing pretty well. I, I, I came out with the lead, and then um, they tied it. I, the inherited runner scored, but and I don't know why I'm going to the weeds here, but no, I remember it's okay. every pitch. Mm-hmm. So um, we ended up winning that game, came from behind. Then I pitched the eighth game in Baltimore, and uh, we beat the Orioles 5-3. to three. At that point, we're 8-0. I think Juan Nieves had pitched the no-hitter the game before. So now there's a lot of national attention, Yeah, right? We're, I think, the only undefeated team at 8-0. I can't remember who we came home and played, and we had two come from behind wins, and that all of a sudden we're 13-0. and We tied a major league record. Yeah. And I saw that I was going to be pitching, <laughs> pitching the 14th <laughs> game in Chicago. I was like, oh, God, uh, here we go. It was like a World Series atmosphere because it was like there was cameras up and down. The line. It was nonstop news programs. We were in Chicago, and that is the birth of the Cheeseheads. And I've told people that story for years, and if you look in Wikipedia – the guy who started it, it was that series in Chicago. I know Rick Manning had said something in spring training, calling the fans cheeseheads when they would get off the bus from, you know, from, um, you know, from, from these long rides from Wisconsin. And it just kind of stuck, and they embraced it. And then all of a sudden, this guy made a foam cheesehead, and that started it. Wow. A lot of people think it's from the Packers, but yeah. it's not from that series. And anyway, I lost that game, did not throw well. Uh, we, we won then four games after that. And then I pitched against the angels came out with a five, four lead. We ended up losing that one. And so then I became, I was the bad luck charm for the, for the, for the team. Uh, but no, and then I, I got sent down and thought I was going to get back up. They had called me back up at one point and I tweaked my back. I didn't get that opportunity. And then, you know, they just didn't call anybody up at the end of the year and which I thought they would. And then, you know, I felt like probably I wasn't in their plans, you know, and uh, I came back the following year and started having some arm trouble, and I just retired. So, uh, you know, I left on my terms and, and uh, you know, glad I made it to the big leagues. But, you know, those, those are long, tough journeys. And, you know, I also didn't want to be in the minor leagues for another two years, and mm-hmm. I didn't have control of my destiny. And I just figured, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave on my terms, and I'm going to figure out my next chapter in, in, in my life. Is there, you know, it's funny because your career kind of mirrors some of these things we're talking about, about, the journey of just getting there. You don't have to be a superstar or a Hall of Famer. Uh, have you ever thought about anything autobiographical that would uh, that would make sense for a movie? Uh, about me? No, I don't think anybody would care. But <laughs> no, I, I think what you hit on as far as like, I always felt like I was an underdog, right? Everything. I wasn't a high draft pick. I was undersized compared to guys now. I just, you know, it, it, it's a tough road, you know. Sometimes it's a lot easier if you're the guy that is anointed and they've got a lot of big investment in. So for me to get up there, it was a huge, probably a bigger accomplishment than than for others, you know. So I just always gravitated toward underdog stories. 
going back to to Rocky, right? Yeah. I mean, I mentioned that movie earlier. That's there's just something about that that the journey and the success is so much sweeter when the road's harder. And and so maybe that's part of why I like underdog stories and end up making those films and being drawn to them. But uh, yeah, maybe there's some connection. Do you watch sports differently? Because of your role as a movie producer, is there always something uh, in you that's kind of looking for a story like that? Or do you get to watch sports like the rest of us as something that you just want to watch to enjoy? Yeah. No, I watch to enjoy, but I think like a lot of people, people love these kinds of stories, right? These success stories. Uh, I don't think I'm, you know, unusual in that fact. I just happen to be in a business that, you know, I try to make these stories and turn them into films. But I, I think that connection that, that I might have a lot of other people do as well. Everybody loves a good underdog story. Uh, so it's just trying to find them and get them and make them the best you can and executing them is, uh, is what I do. I had a chance to speak to Angelo Pizzo recently who wrote Hoosiers and Rudy. And he told me he's a little burned out on sports, mostly because he doesn't want to ever think about writing another locker room speech. Um, but I, I, you know, you're not a writer necessarily. So uh, is this the kind of genre that maybe you didn't necessarily think you'd fall into? But is this yeah. kind of where you where you think you're going well, to keep going? I, I think there's there's always that little bit of like you fight what what people put you in a box in, right, or define you as. So obviously. Angelo is known as the guy that wrote that and this, and, and he's a sports guy. Obviously, I've done a lot of sports movies, so when when the phone rings, I pretty much know it's going to be about a sports project. <laughs> you know, so I've got to fight that and 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 round out my, what I do. I don't want to be defined as just that, but I love making them. I don't. I mean, I, I keep looking for great stories. I think the bar gets higher, right? You don't want to repeat yourself. I think I know it could be a movie, but I think they all have to be somewhat unusual and different and. Uh, you know, I just did a movie for, for Disney that's going to be on the platform uh, in October about a Clemson football player uh, named Ray McElrathbe. Um, it's untitled right now, but uh, um, but we, we shot it in, in the fall at Clemson, and uh, amazing story. Uh, what was famous about him is that he was, he was, again, not a famous player. He was a freshman coming from Atlanta, a uh, recruit, defensive back safety, and, uh, and he ended up adopting his little brother who's going to go into foster care and it, and it became an NCAA issue on, you know, can you get a ride to school? Is that an infraction? Mm. And on appeal, he ended up getting a waiver from the NCAA. So not only did the school come out uh, and look good, so did the NCAA, which is unusual. So uh, really emotional, terrific movie. We got to shoot in front of 85,000 people in a, during a live game. And it was, uh, it was nuts. It was, it was a, such a fun film to shoot. And I've seen cuts of it already. It's fantastic. So, you know, again, trying to find great stories and, 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 and execute them. That's, that's what it's about, you know, getting people to believe that, that the, the story could be uh, relevant and, and can resonate. And, and, and again, that's what, that's what movies I do are about. There's one thing on your IMDb, IMDb page, uh, an upcoming project that is not sports related at all, but it caught my eye because my favorite singer of all time is Sam Cooke, and there is an untitled Sam Cooke bio that is somewhat loosely attached to you. What can you tell me about where yeah, that's well, been going? Here's, here's what I can tell you. Don't look at IMDb. <laughs> that, those things are sometimes 15, 20 years old, and inactive projects that might have been announced at the time but uh yeah those, those aren't typically too accurate but okay. at one point i was involved in developing and had developed the sam cook project 
funny thing about that is I still get calls uh, about mm-hmm. it from from you know actors reps, and uh, that story will probably get made. And uh, you know, it's but but a lot of times. Uh, stories go from active to inactive and then change, you know, people involved with them. And, and, uh, just, it just at the time didn't, you know, it was, you know, didn't get made, but I, I do feel like that will be made eventually. Uh, I probably won't have involvement in it, but, uh, it, it's, it's a really, you know, great, but tragic story with Sam. So what's your dream project, Mark? Is there something that you look at and say, boy, I can't believe that hasn't been made yet. You know, I've got things in, in, that I really believe in and, and think are great, and I'm still working on. You know, there's a story that I got the rights to back in 2007. By the way, the same year as the, as the movie I just made for, for Disney. Sometimes they take a year to get made. Sometimes they take 15, 20, 30 years. But uh, about Mike Flint, he was a he was a 59-year-old guy who, who uh, when he was in a small college in West Texas, uh, he got kicked off the football team. He was the captain. Uh, he got in one too many fights, and and the the, the school president said it's either the football team or Mike Flint. So he gets kicked off the team, doesn't even get to say goodbye, and all of a sudden he's back home. You cut to you know however many years later, forty years later, and you know uh, you find out that that he's going to go finally back to a reunion to apologize to his teammates, and he had never gone, never been connected to him, and he did, and. And a lot of the guys were like, hey, listen, you look like you could still play. And they start laughing. And, you know, you got a year of eligibility. And anyway, he goes to school and, and, and says he wants to try out. And they think it's like he's going to want to coach or it's his kid. And uh, he ends up making the team as a middle linebacker at 59. And uh, wow. tremendous story. It's called The Senior. And I, I'm still working on that one. I, I think it'll get made. Uh, a lot of stop, start and stops with that, but uh, it's one that I love, and I definitely think the movie. We got a really good script. You know, it's timing. You got to find you know either investors or or studios or you know platforms that you know that that believe in you. A lot of times, it's one or two people within that. You know, you can get passes for years from different, and then find that one person that believes uh, in the story. And uh, you know, I hope to make that some someday for sure. You know, the, the thing I keep thinking about about these sports movies is that, you know, th- with th- there are a few exceptions to it, but generally they're not blockbusters. They are successful, and if you're lucky, you can have them on a platform like you have with, you know, Disney Plus now offers The Rookie, Invincible, Million Dollar Arm, Miracle, Secretariat. They're all there, and there are movies that yeah. we're going to watch again, uh, but you have to really want to make that story and have that story speak because these aren't the typical Hollywood blockbusters that are coming out. Yeah. No, they are. They're not, they don't scream, you know, blockbuster, but that's why I think these platforms are, are, are great, uh, places to tell these stories. You don't have to worry about box office. I think that's become really tricky, uh, over the years. And, you know, who goes to a movie theater, right? Who, who actually, someone might want to see a film, but they might want to wait and not actually get in their car and drive and, you know, do all that that goes along with, you know, the effort to get to a film uh, and with the advent of Netflix and Amazon and all this content that you can consume in your house, uh, it becomes a kind of a, a great play to make these original films that feel very theatrical, much like the one I just did for, for Disney that'll be on their Disney Plus platform. Okay. It's the same budget. You know, mm-hmm. these, these are big budgeted movies and uh, there's absolutely no difference in the, in, in the quality uh, or price and, and, you know, obviously for Disney and, and other places, it's the future. You know, it's why Bob Iger, you know, bet 
so much on on Disney Plus and you know Netflix has such a big lead on everyone else and the subscriber you know kind of content you know platform that uh, all these other studios who've helped build Netflix into what they are are now going oh god we got to do this ourselves because that's how people are consuming content so uh, big transition you know big disruption in in my business but as a as a filmmaker as a producer. You just got to find and tell great stories. You know, you'll figure out where you make them and who finances them and, and how people see them. But, you know, more people see them once they get onto these other, you know, downstream, whether it's seeing it on a plane or seeing it, um, you know, on a cable channel or a network or a platform. I mean, that's going to be the new new. And, uh, you know, for me, I just want to I want to execute and tell great stories. Yeah, and listen, I think we're all kind of in that boat right now. As long as you have to shelter in place or self quarantine or whatever yeah. you have to do, hey, these are our a options. A lot of people are watching movies now. Yeah, yep. and 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 they're watching a lot of yours too because uh, they they make you feel good. And I think that's what, as sports fans, that's what we're kind yeah. of looking for. We're looking for something that gives us that same energy and emotion that we don't get because there is no March Madness and no other sports right, right now. Totally agree. My thanks to Mark Charty for sharing his thoughts on making some of the more timeless sports movies of the last 20 years. As I mentioned earlier, you can see most of his movies on the Disney Plus streaming service and hear more about the making of Hoosiers from screenwriter Angelo Pizzo. Please check out our last episode. You can find the 30 with Murdy Archive at Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, stay safe, everyone. I'm Sweeney Murdy, and Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.